this is Base Layer, brought to you by Arca. I'm your host, David Nage. This is Base Layer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. This is David, and this is your new episode of Base Layer. I have Tibold, the CEO and co-founder of Fairment, went today. How are you today? Yeah, very good. Great. Um, Fairment provides growth-oriented companies with software-powered financing services to raise capital continuously from anyone who support their product and mission. And so we're going to have a great conversation. In this day and age, and I've wrote about this pretty extensively, we have seen in 2019 the fall, if you will, of the IPO. We saw Postmates. We saw WeWork. We saw a number of other ones shelving their IPO or actually working around the IPO structure and doing things like a direct listing like Slack did. And so the ability to either capitalize one's business if they've been a founder and obviously they're generating a lot of revenue uh, has been basically set in stone for a long time. You would raise capital from VCs or from family offices or other institutions, and then you would raise a certain amount of money and you would be generating a certain amount of revenue, and then you would go public. That was kind of the old way, and things have drastically changed. Companies have obviously stayed private much longer. And so this is very interesting that in this day and age, using distributed and decentralized technology, using blockchains, there is something out there. So what we'd like to do, if you could, if you can entertain us before we get too far into what Fairmont is doing and the reason why, I'd like to get a little bit of a sense of you. Uh, what did you do before Fairmont? And how did you get involved in the overall space? What really inspired you about blockchains? Okay, so um, so I was, a, I was already an entrepreneur before. So I'm a software engineer. Uh, I also have a, um, a degree in financial engineering. Um, my, my first company was a, was a B2C startup. Um, and I really, so, and it was while I was, um, leading this company that I discovered Bitcoin was like back in 2013. Um, so like I actually, I installed the Bitcoin client in 2011. I looked at it. I waited for a few minutes. It was doing nothing. I was like, what the heck? And I installed it. <laughs> I installed it. So that was the first encounter. <laughs> Second was in 2013. Uh, but then I had the great idea of storing all my Bitcoins on Mongox. So I'm one of those guys uh, who mm -hmm. use Mongox as a, as, a, as a cold storage for my Bitcoin. They're quite expensive. Um, and um, and so, so after that, uh, basically, I came back through Ethereum because uh, I was excited about Ethereum. Like at the time, I was uh, developing a, a voting platform and wanted voters to know that their votes were not being um, altered. And so this is how we developed a, a little module on Ethereum, voting module. Um, and, and then I became basically a partner in a, in a firm um, in, in Europe. Uh, that, was, that was kind of pan-European accelerator. And I was in charge of crypto. And so one of my role was really to filter the companies that wanted to get in. And it was it was incredible because basically I filtered them all. Like um, they were, it was this time where it was like the ICO boom, and everybody was coming with their token and saying, "Yeah, look, we're going to give you tokens. They're going to be rich and blah 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 blah." And and, and as we could not see long term value, like we we just we just said no to all of them. Um, and it was interesting because this uh, this is at this moment that really something hit me um, because you could see like all these people who. First, they wanted to raise capital in a different way, right? So that was the first at that point that was super interesting. 
Second, at that point, it was super interesting is that investors were ready to invest even though they had no governance rights, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but they were ready to invest because they were prom- promised some liquidity in the short and, and midterm. So they were trading uh, governance rights against liquidity. So that was super interesting. And finally, like the promise, like why founders, most founders would do an ICO was like this promise of, look, you're going to build your company and grow your company with your with your stakeholders, like right? with your community and, and everybody's going to be super financially aligned and blah, blah, blah. And so that was the promise of the ICO. Obviously, it didn't deliver, um, but I thought that was super interesting. And at that time, I was already like super um, passionate about bonding curves. And this is this is how like all these ingredients uh, made me, uh, one day I clicked and I was like, okay, maybe you could do a fundraising mechanism that is based on a bonding curve. And that's mm-hmm. how it started. Got it. And so the platform was designed based on a new fundraising model for startups called the Continuous Securities Offering. And so I'm going to want you to to really delve into that. And so this expands the potential investor pool. This is based off of the reporting from the block from founders, VCs and employees to anyone to give these investors exposure to companies' future revenues. So please you gave us the insight into why you built Fairment. You gave us the origin of how that came about. Talk to us about what exactly Fairment is and also talk to us about this continuous securities offering. And then we have lots of other questions after that. Yeah, totally. So so really the, the two are intertwined, but like we first really focused on on coming up with like this continuous securities offering. So sort of like the financial product. And then we built Fairment to enable companies to launch and run their continuous securities offering. So, so in that sense, so, so the a continuous securities offering is it, very simple. Like we enable founders to put an invest now button on their website or on their app on, on their digital real estate so that anyone can invest at any single time. So it's not like there's no, it's not a campaign. Like uh, you don't, you don't, you don't have to invest between T0 and T0 plus 30 days. Like you literally can invest at any single point of time. Um, it's non-dilutive capital uh, because it's it's not based on equity. So you don't dilute yourself in terms of equity. You don't dilute yourself in terms of governance. So for the founder, like founder keep full ownership of their business. Um, and so the way it works is as a company, like so Fermit is the first C- CSO. Like we launched our continuous security offering. And what we did is the following. We said, okay, we're going to commit 10% of our revenues over the next five years. And we're going to commit this amount of money into a reserve, right? And and this reserve is what is then tokenized and people can buy tokens from this reserve. And, and this reserve, as it's like growing with our revenues, it, it basically creates a market where investors can speculate on the on the revenue growth of Fermit. And mm-hmm. and so that's basically what um, what Fermit is doing. So we enable um, growth-oriented companies to set up their CSO and, and run it. Got it. And so the the benefits you want you you want me to say yeah. about the benefits or you have questions mm-hmm. so the, the benefits are very uh they're threefold so for funders i said it so the, the main 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 benefit is that you stay laser focused on your business because you're judged on your ability to execute and to deliver revenues and to grow your revenues so as long as you're not you don't have now to to go and 
and like do a tour of all the investors to ask them for money. Like you really, the more you grow your revenue, the more you grow your business, like the, the, the more you attract investors. So instead of you going after investors, it's investors monitoring your business and deciding to invest whenever they want. They can invest early if they are, if they are okay with more risk or they, they can invest later. But the key here is that there's always um, securities available. The, the moment where there's more demand than supply, new securities are uh, immediately being uh, issued. And they're always issued at a slightly higher price. Mm -hmm. And so that means that the earlier you invest, um, so obviously the more risk you take because the business is not as developed, but also the bigger upside you have because you invest at a, at a lower price. Right. And so everybody can always uh, acquire new securities. So there's never a shortage of securities. Um, and the same way, everybody can always sell. So obviously, when you want to sell, the best way to sell is on the secondary market. But there's also like this reserve of money that is uh, that is that consists of the revenues of the company. Mm -hmm. um, these revenues are escrowed, and they provide. Uh, last resort liquidity pool. So that means that when you want to sell, if nobody in the market wants to buy the security, you can always sell against the reserve and the reserve is automatically going to uh, buy back your security at a predefined price. Right. And so you, you have this last resort liquidity, which means that there's kind of a floor price to the security. And this floor price rises with the revenues of the company. Mm -hmm. And so a few things, we'll kind of ping them one by one. So the idea of proliferating the ability of more investors to get involved in these, you've had obviously some regulatory stances on that, the, you know, kind of, some of the acts that have come about uh, that have enabled more, you know, crowdsourcing of early stage startups. You've had obviously platforms that have also kind of been inspired by these things. And so I think for people out there, you know, obviously there's this idea of accreditation. And so how do you actually ensure, and I'm sure you have something there, but I'd like to hear about it. So how do you ensure accreditation? How do you go through the whole KYC and AML procedures? So that's that's really where Fermint comes into play. So Fermint is really basically with this whole stack like ready to ready to use. And when um, somebody wants to run their CSO, what we do is we provide them the whole stack so that it's uh, like very easily. And Fermint comes with um, all like partners integrated, so KYC, AML, uh, accreditation status verification, and so and everything is um, like in the flow of the investor, right? So, so we track all of this and we enforce it on chain. So, so that means that it's really at the end of the day, the, the transfer restrictions, the lockups uh, are all enforced on chain. And so that's, that's really one thing that, uh, that Fermit is doing. And then, so obviously in the US, uh, you need to be an accredited investor to participate in the primary market. Um, but that's where, the, where things get really interesting. Just because it's a little known fact, but so if I take the CSO of Fermint, so we are using a regular 506C type of offering. Um, and so we are issuing restricted securities. But the restricted security after one year, uh, it can be sold to a non-accredited non investor, right? And it's totally legal. Um, and so this is why, like, uh, if you buy um, a security on Ferment, uh, then you have a, a lockup period of one year, and after one year, we're going to kickstart a secondary market. And the secondary market is going to be based on an automated market making mechanism, so typically Uniswap. Um, and so 
this is why it's going to be interesting because then we'll have two markets um, open at the same time. We'll have the primary market, and this primary market is going to bound the secondary market, meaning like uh, like the trades are going to happen at the secondary market, and as, as soon as the secondary market, um, the, the price leapage goes up and reaches the, 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 the issuance price of the primary market, then the primary market takes over. And, and all of this is completely blended from an investor perspective. From an investor perspective, you decide what you want to buy, what you want to sell, and then we ferment routes the orders to the markets that you have access to, uh, depending on your accreditation, and uh, basically routes them so that you have the, the best price for your order. And so, you know, coming from traditional markets like I did, you know, one of the things that I'm concerned about is that even if you have like a pink sheet, you know, on a traditional equity, that means that it is below a certain price. And that means there's also a lot less liquidity and that there's a lot less flow. There's just not a lot of trading. There's just not a lot of uh, kind of volume of shares, if you will. And so, you know, we'll just, you know, substitute shares for tokens in this particular instance. How do you ensure, how do the, what are the mechanisms? I'm curious because I, I enjoy hearing about this. How do you ensure that, you know, some of these issues, issuances and, you know, some the securities that you're, you know, kind of doing the reference assets, if you will. I like that terminology, reference asset. How do you ensure that, you know, liquidity risk doesn't become a problem? So the, the liquidity, so as we use, you know, if I go back, like uh, the, in the end, what Fermit is doing is that we're using this new economic mechanism, like for centuries now, when you wanted to sell an asset, you needed to have a buyer in front of you, right? And same, if you wanted to buy an asset, you need to have a seller. But the decent, what DeFi is allowing is that right now you can trade against a, a contract, which makes the, the, um, the trade instantaneous, right? And the, 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 the only, the, the trade-off is that depending on your the size of your trade, you're going to impact the price, right? There's going to be a price slippage uh, that is that is going to be little or, 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 or higher, depending on, on the size of your trade. So this is why what what is important in this new paradigm is to have like a, a, a lot of liquidity in the secondary market, meaning like um, I, I suppose everybody like who listens to base layer is, is familiar with Uniswap. So so if you put um, uh, a, a lot of liquidity in the Uniswap markets, then you're kind of sure that not only your trades are going to be immediate, but also your trades are most of the time, if they remain um, not not incredibly large, the, the price slippage that's going to incur by the trade is going to remain slow, uh, remain low. And uh, so that's that's how we're doing it. So so basically, everything that we do uses automatic automated market making. Uh, mechanism. Uh, so it's the bonding curve on the primary market and it's Uniswap on the secondary market. But this is why like, um, we, you don't need to have a lot of traders. You, have, you need to have a lot of liquidity. And, and this is why the key fact here is to ensure that when we launch the, liquid, the, the secondary market, we launch it with enough uh, liquidity in it. And, uh, and that's part of the model and that's what Fermit also is, uh, is doing to ensure uh, companies that their secondary market is going to be, it's, it's not going to have like crazy volatility. Right. And so let's get into does it make the, sense? yes, it does. Um, it makes perfect sense. And so let's get into the nitty gritty. So you have company X that is generating revenue Y and instead of going through the rigmarole of constantly going to VCs and private investors and institutions and family offices, they are now doing this. They're doing the CSO. And you have 
set aside a certain amount of revenue that is an escrow that you alluded to. And so how does it all get validated? So you're using Ethereum, if I'm not mistaken, you're using smart contracts. And so how is it set up in terms of the consensus or using a proof of staking model where you have validators out there? And how are you also, what kind of Oracle data is coming into this? How do you ensure that company X is generating the revenues that they're actually saying? Because this is a private company, they don't have to report. How do you do that? So, so there are several answers to, to this. Um, the first answer is that the, the, what is being issued is a security. It's not a utility token. So, so basically, people buy your security based on the promise that you've made. So if you cheat that, if you, if you lie, you're committing securities fraud, and the class action is immediate. So that's, I guess like the first thing is it's a security. That's my, the first part of my answer. Uh, the second part of my answer is, so you are right. So we don't use oracles. Um, like you rely on the, what the company is telling you. And, um, and this is why like it's very important for investors to trust the company. Um, and this is why right now we don't work with like early stage companies, right? We, we, we work either with companies that are like big enough to be reliable, like they have already CFOs, they have processes in place, and, and then it's up to them to decide what they want to disclose uh, so that investors can trust them. So it can be like full uh, revenue audit, it can be like different type of things, but they are the ones deciding how they want to, what they want to provide to the market so that investors can trust um, the, 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 the revenues that are, uh, they're displaying. Or we work with companies that are their revenues validated. Like if you use Stripe, okay, like as a Stripe data, and we can have your revenues verified by Stripe. If you are an Amazon shop, um, so on Amazon Marketplace, same. Like Amazon has a great API, and we can verify your revenue. And so then, like investors are safe because they see, like, okay, revenues verified by Amazon, revenues verified by Shopify. Shopify does the same. Uh, by Stripe, and so this this is what we use to to make investors feel confident uh, about what the company is saying and the revenue commitment that that they are honoring. Okay, um, okay, that 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 flame makes a lot of sense, and so. It just says a sense, you know, one of the questions I always ask with anyone who's building on distributed and decentralized systems, governance is also one other thing that is very interesting. How do you get a cooperative out there to actually maintain a distributed system out there that is not centrally kind of run? So how do you do that with Fairman? Can you can you ask me a question? I'm not sure I got it right. So it, based off the fact that this is Ethereum-based and based off you're creating ERC-20 tokens, so with that, I imagine there has to be some level of governance. How do you actually, you know, have the the validators out there? How do you actually make sure that all of the systems are in place? Are you just using, you know, Ethereum's governance procedures? One of the things that I found very interesting is that as we're moving to more of a distributed and decentralized architecture, making sure that all of the components are working harmoniously together is more difficult because it's not centrally run. So how do you do that with with Fairment? So okay, so that. that- that's an interesting point. Like, uh, and there was a debate on Twitter not long ago. Like, uh, are we like is Fermin DeFi or are we not DeFi? Um, I'd say we're, we're not DeFi, meaning like we use DeFi. So Fermin is centralized. Like uh, in the end, here we, we just we're, we're plain old. At the end of the day, we're plain old uh, security. Uh, we're doing plain old security. So we enable um, companies to become their own issuer uh, on their own website. 
right? And so, and so this is centralized. Like, and we're not trying to be decentralized. So we we use Ethereum just because Ethereum today has the like a strong network security, a lot of tooling, stable coins. Because in the end, what we need is we need non-custodial wallets, we need stable coins, and we need uh, smart contract abilities. So, so yeah, so this is why we decided to be based on Ethereum. But just to be clear, um, Fermit provides an experience uh, where nobody will see that we're using Ethereum. Like, uh, it's like mm-hmm. um, the blockchain that we are using should not be uh, known by anyone. Uh, so this is why we provide an experience where people will not even realize that there's a blockchain behind, right? And, um, and that was super important for us to have like this frictionless experience um and so so this is why like yes we we use ethereum um if in five years uh tesos becomes like the 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 best uh uh, smart contract blockchain we could totally use tesos like we're we're blockchain agnostic but right now today for sure ethereum is just uh it it was a no-brainer to to base ourselves on on ethereum Got it. And so in terms of the maturation of companies that are going to come on there or that you're talking to, you know, obviously there's this revenue component, you know, what type of in the more venture kind of categories, seed, series A, series B, what kind of level of maturation of companies are you talking to that have interest in potentially coming on this? So right now it's, uh, it's mostly like a seed, like late seed, uh, series A type of companies. So, and especially right now in, 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 in these times where fundraising is becoming tougher, um, that's most of, of the type of companies that we're talking to. So it, it's very easy. Like it, there's two types of companies that interest us. Um, it's either like your rocket ship. And so if you're rocket ship, meaning like you make revenues and you have a lot of growth. So then you're, you're uh, out of this, like your uh, security, uh, your your financial product is going to be stellar, right? And so everybody will want to jump on it just because it's going to be a great security um, with high revenue potential. Um, on the other side, on the other spectrum, um, we're also interested in, in companies that make revenue, grow nicely, but who has a, a cult-like uh, community. Like if, if you are very good at having a great community that really loves your product, love the mission, love what you're, what you're providing, uh, that's also very interesting because... Like those people will also want to invest and they will be less sensitive to the potential performance of the financial product. And so I guess like we're, we're targeting like kind of everything in this spectrum right now because it's, it's the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's the, the, the key is really like online uh, to an online business growth and revenues. Got it. And so we'll put some uh, notes where people can find out more about Fairmint and take a look and go through the process of getting uh, enabled and verified. But uh, what we'd like to do on the show, too, is just spend a minute getting to know our guest a little bit more. Um, we like to focus on two things. One, if anything that you've been reading lately, hopefully you've had a minute or two to read and to decompress from, obviously, worries about running your business and obviously worries about the global pandemic that we're all dealing with and then music, anything that you might listen to uh, either while you're working or when you're trying to have some leisure time. So anything that you've read recently and any music that you like. Wow. Um, so yeah, in terms of reading, honestly, uh, the, the last book I read is uh, Why We Sleep, just because I need to read a book that's just to that my brain understands that I need to sleep. <laughs> so I'm trying to, to, to make him 
understand how much it's it's important because I get enough sleep, um, unfortunately. So so yeah, that that was my my last book. Um, and then um, on terms of music, the thing is, I have two young kids right now, and so basically, I'm I'm being my I'm being listening a lot of music. Uh, trying to encode them like some music. And so right now what, what's working very well is like classical music. So classical music uh, is actually a, a soother for them like when it's like nighttime. And so I've been listening to a lot of classical music and, and, and I've reviewed my classics uh, based on this. But um, other than that, when I, when I program or when I, I just want to be concentrated, uh, I just listen to, yeah, like a classical Love it. Classic rock. Thing like this. Love it. <laughs> a little Vivaldi for four seasons right now wouldn't kill anybody. Um, and so one of the things that we also like to do, as I mentioned, we'll put this in the show notes, but where can people find out more about Fairment? Where can they actually, you know, start using it and uh, tell them where to go? So it's, it's super easy. So you go to family.co, there's all the information. I encourage you to go to see, like we've written a, a, a very well, I hope, uh, written handbook about continuous securities offering. And so I really encourage you to take a look at it to understand all the details of it. And, and obviously, if you want to, to see the experience for yourself, just click on that Invest Now button on Ferment, register, and go through the flow. And it would take you less than five minutes to, to go and, and put some bucks to invest in Ferment and get an exposure to the continuous financing revolution. Awesome. So this is Debald, the CEO and co-founder of Fairment, a new platform out there that in this day and age, as I mentioned before, even before the market capitulation and the global pandemic, we were already seeing a massive shift in the kind of IPO phase, as I mentioned, a few companies out there already. And we've seen a shift in moving towards more direct listings. And we have looked at companies out there that have been trying to raise capital in new ways. Really interesting stuff. We look forward to having you back on in a few months and catching up. And so thank you for coming on. Have a good day. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. For more notes from this past episode about our guest, please go to www.ar.ca slash base layer. Nothing stated on this podcast should be taken as investment advice, which would require a thorough assessment of each investor's personal financial profile and risk tolerance. Statements regarding past performance are not necessarily indicative of future returns. If you like what you're listening to on base layer, let us know. Subscribe, give us a like, or hit us up on Twitter, Arca at Arca, or myself, David Nage at DavidJN79. Let us know, and we'd love to obviously hear from you. For additional resources to help sophisticated listeners like yourself learn about the digital asset space in the financial terms you understand, please visit www.ar.ca for articles, market commentary, videos, and more.